You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. For this episode, we'll be talking about John Coltrane, A Love Supreme. In the room, I have Rob and Adam. Hey. A Love Supreme is the 1965 studio album by American jazz saxophonist and band leader John Coltrane. It was released in January of 1965 on Impulse record label. The producer was Bob Thiele, and the genre is modal jazz, avant-garde jazz, free jazz. And from All Music Review, uh, Sam Samuelson... One of the most important records ever made, John Coltrane's A Love Supreme, was his pinnacle studio outing that at once compiled all of the innovations from the past spoken to the current deep spirituality that liberated him from addictions to drugs and alcohol and glimpsed at the future innovations of his final two and a half years. Recorded over two days in December of 1964, Train's classic quartet, Elvin Jones, McCoy Tyner, and Jimmy Garrison stepped into the studio and created one of the most thought-provoking, concise, and technically pleasing albums of their bountiful relationship. From the first bass line to the last breathy notes, Train is at his peak of his logical and emotional varied soloing while the rest of the group is completely attuned to his spiritual vibe. Composed of four parts, each has a thematic progression. Acknowledgement is the awakening of the spiritual life from the darkness of the world. It trails off with the saxophone chanting the suite's title. Resolution is an amazingly beautiful, somewhat turbulent segment. It portrays the dedication required for discovery on the path towards spiritual understanding. Pursuance uh, searches deeply for that experience, while Psalm portrays the discovery and the realization of enlightenment with humility. Although sometimes aggressive and dissonant, this isn't Coltrane at his most furious or adventurous. His recordings following this period, studio and live, become progressively untethered and extremely spirited. A Love Supreme not only attempts, but realizes the ambitious undertaking of Coltrane's concept. This emotional searching, sometimes prayerful journey is made abundantly clear, clocking in at 33 minutes. A Love Supreme conveys much without overstatement. It is almost impossible to imagine any jazz collection without it. All right, what did we think of A Love Supreme? It's a jazz concept record, and it (laughs) works really well, I think. I love this record. This is like a 
standby record in my house. Uh, I was talking about it with my wife, and like this is her like family's like we're making pancakes record, and it's like they get they're having they're getting together and they're cooking breakfast together, and this is what's on. This is that's her association with it. I think it works so well. It's it's both. You you said a you put it really well. It's at times it's very restrained. Like the band often just holds it down really well, and then he'll go off, and then it goes back down. I think the vocal refrain throughout is really interesting and different, tying it together over the different melodies. I love this record. This is this is a record I've heard many times, and uh, I enjoyed listening to it. You know. For this for this podcast, yeah, this is one that I I listen. I mean, I listen to periodically, but not as as much as some of the others, like uh, Blue Train or Giant Steps. But I understand why this one was kind of selected, and those weren't because it pre- presents the concept record for better or worse. Yeah, you know, it has something going for it that those other records might not have had. This is Coltrane after he's sobered up, gone cold turkey. He uh, He's trying to do something in stretch jazz into a different place while maintaining certain things that he's, yeah. he's done before. And, yeah. I mean, I could understand why people don't like it. I understand why people do like it. But it's hard to deny... The sort of he he's trying for a concept record. Yeah, you're right. I, I feel like he accomplishes what he wants to, especially in the like the last song. The first song is interesting because it's supposed to be this jarring, you know. I love that intro. I think that intro immediately sets the tone. Yeah, it's like, it just suddenly it feels like it feels like a movie just started. Is the way that I I think of that opening horn line. It's just like. And I think of movies a lot when I think of this record. Um, there's a lot of, th- but that one makes me feel like I feel like I'm in some like New York scene. From the get go, I'm immediately transported, yeah. and I don't know what's going on necessarily, and I don't know what his journey and his arc is. But like, I I have the feeling that I'm, it's gonna go somewhere. Um, <laughs> I mean, I. <laughs> it's okay. I just I jazz. Uh, I, I hate jazz. <laughs> it's cool. I I I and I've read up on this thing, and I never want to listen to the record again. And the thing, like the things that bothered me about it, like it. Uh, sorry, let me let me collect myself. Um, so basically, when I was listening to the first song, "Love Supreme," is that that's the name of the first song yep. on the record as well, right? Um, and before he starts the well, acknowledgement, the, the acknowledgement before he starts the mantra of love supreme. Um, yeah. At certain points in time, like it felt like what my phone does when the alarm goes off and I can't find it and it just keeps making this dissonant crap. Where I'm like, why is this happening? Why is this happening to me right now? And uh, yeah, that that it, it made, that was funnier on the first day. You don't like <laughs> that app. You don't like the the riffing. On I don't the, like the riffing. The modal I, I, riffs, I, maybe. I, do not like noodling on a little four note thing for ten minutes. I think I, I I would I would rather listen to just about anything else. It gets boring to me. If this wasn't a saxophone doing it, if it was any other fucking instrument, if it was a if it was a xylophone, people would be like, "What the fuck is this shrill shit?" It it only 
works because Coltrane had a name for it, or Coltrane's name means something. And um, you know, this is this is one of the last records that he put out. And I'm I'm not going to go through and listen to more John Coltrane on purpose. I'm I'm going to come out and say that I don't know what the last two records sounded like. Uh, but when I found out that this was like him getting really into God and everything, um, and the whole Love Supreme thing, like. Uh, who said it? It was, I believe, uh, Martin Gaylord from T- Daily Telegraph, where he said, It marked the point at which jazz, for good or ill, ceased for a while to be hip and cool, but instead became mystical and messianic. And if the listener was, quote, in the mood, it's majestic and compelling, and if you're not, it's interminable and pretentious. Um, I didn't have that idea, but as soon as I read that, I was like, oh... Maybe that's what I'm feeling on my insides right now. It is. Maybe yeah. that's and what I it read, is. I read that quote too, and I thought it was because it makes it makes perfect sense. It, yeah. This feels like what's gonna happen. Like God spells like peeking its head around the corner, like, "Hey guys, no, what's it gets going so, on?" So much worse than this. I know. <laughs> I know. Like that's why it's like that's why I think this is cool. Is that it's pushing the envelope. It's pushing in a weird direction. But I actually like. I think it works. I mean, like, I don't like acid jazz, like, usually, you know, it's yeah. like... I, I don't, I, honestly, I, I think part of the problem is is the modal aspect, like, because it, it lends itself to noodling, and noodling has always been like a, oh, God damn it, just stop, just make the point. And, you know, in fairness to the opening song, it does eventually resolve. It took ten minutes. I'm so you. I, I guess maybe I'm a little more used to like you know the um, this is a song structure. Let's do the thing. Yeah. Um, and it just exploring the room and all that. And uh, I can't be, like I hate hippie jam bands like categorically. Like I get it. And like if you don't like jazz. It's it's like I I've tried with it I like I tried with the dead I'm sure that'll come up somewhere you know like I remember f- friends trying to get me into fish and it's just like Ugh. none of that stuff those aren't friends <laughs> it was high school they didn't know any better but uh but you know I I I really did give an effort to those kinds of um like you said the exploring. Um, I just can't imagine sitting down and like, hey, let's have a conversation. This fucking saxophone screaming in my ears. Well, so. that's that's why I thought it was a little strange that you were saying, oh, we're you know we put this album on or something like that because this is more of that album where you just kind of want to be 
for me, I just want to be in my head and I want to have sort of this like journey in a certain way that I, I wouldn't just normally put it on just to kind of like chill out or just kind of uh, it's funny like this puts me on edge like there's no chilling out like some jazz really does that for me this record doesn't for me and like for example tonight when i re-listened to it for this podcast uh sarah and i sat together in the kitchen and we cooked this traditional italian dish that that i my family makes and we were just sitting there like cooking listening to this record being like i can't believe multiple friends that do this podcast don't like this record like this (laughs) like we were just like chilling, and yeah. and I think that it gets aggressive. But like, if you're saying that the song's like ten minutes long, you know, it's only thirty three minute record, four tracks, you know, so it's like seven eight minute average. Like, a lot of the songs, it's not aggressive for more than a minute or two. It'll be like it's true. It'll be like a lead up, a climax, simmer down, maybe even just back to the band. And so like, I agree that it gets aggressive and and like. Um, in your face, but it's not like that the whole time. And I think the dynamics are actually what makes the record really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think that it's I think like those dynamics are definitely. And then and then, like dropping down, but keeping a, a rhythm going, and then they bring that back that vocal theme. I love supreme. Yeah. I love. And I think it's, I don't know. I just think it. Uh, it it's the best case of this kind of jazz where they are going out on a limb and trying some pretty wild stuff but but it's not but it's not like a cartoonish like stuff we'll get later it, yeah it, it just doesn't feels go, like chaos it doesn't yeah it doesn't go so far beyond that it's, it feels orderly it, it, it feels yeah i think i think that's what i like about it is that they did something that's pretty crazy yeah and i actually sense the order to it and uh and i get what they're what they're going for and it doesn't feel um accidental or slapdash and yeah so i I, but but i i'll be the first person to when i hear a record that i think is doing the same thing and doesn't pull it off i will knock it down (laughs) because because i think there's plenty of stuff that attempts to do what they're doing that doesn't work and i think this record really works yeah and you were kind of talking about noodling i guess is a bad word but kind of i I don't know jamming or whatever you want to say but when they when these guys do solo I feel like they are, they're going somewhere with it. Like when this drummer is soloing, when the bassist is soloing, it it kind of has repeating patterns, but it's not this sort of like, I'm just soloing for no reason, just to kind of solo up and down because I can. I sure. feel like they have purpose. And that is, for me, that is what sets this record apart from a lot of those ex- really experimental things or things that, like Adam would say, not as orderly, is things feel like they have purpose. And I feel like the first song is jarring and is jarring because I think they are telling people this. Uh, I mean, I'm interpreting here is this is how dissonant and chaos life is. And then they start pulling it in within the other songs. And the last song is like very like spiritually, if it, you, you get this like sense of, yeah, it's a very like spiritual theme, um, very melodic, and he's not like uh, not doing the bebop thing. Of, I've seen of Jesus Christ Superstar. I know what you're saying, and yeah, I just I I don't 
I, I don't get the appeal, but it's obviously there. What this yeah. record sold over five hundred thousand copies at some point. Yep. So uh, by nineteen seventy, it was five hundred thousand copies. You know, for, um, for fucking he, jazz, that's pretty good. He typically did a uh, three thirty thousand. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, sold sold pretty well. His I mean, his best-selling record sold a lot since then. This um, is still, you know, constantly being repressed. Yeah, still. There's, I mean, the other thing, I'm deeply, deeply saddened that we will not have another Coltrane album on this in this list of a thousand one albums because I really think that he has he has different things to offer than this album. So Giant Steps was him. It, it just sounds a, a lot different, and I'm, I'm kind of bummed that we we don't have that because this is this what is the only that? representation. 1960. Yeah, I, I and again, I I won't ever listen to this record on purpose again. Um, this reminds me of someone who would bring a copy of Dragons to Eden and read it at a bar, and have this as the the thing he's listening to on his iPod. I don't want to hang out with this guy. I like you guys. But, like, someone who would put this on at a party that was happening, I would... Who are you? <laughs> what have you done? <laughs> but, you know, again, I'm wrong. So... I wish I wish someone else was here to some extent, correctly articulate how I feel in words that are better than mine. Th- you're not wrong, I think, to some of that. Like, no. you gotta remember that's, like, part of what Jazz was doing was... Was trying to say like alienate the squares, right? Yeah, I because that, that's like there's a part of me that when I hear this, and especially when you say that, who are you? Is like, well, I guess in 1965, like I try to picture like my father-in-law, like he, I guarantee he put this record on in 1965, and people were like, what the fuck <laughs> is this? And I'm and you know what? I bet that like one or two people came up to him. When he did that, we're like, what the fuck was that? Yeah. <laughs> and they were into it because they were like, I just never heard anything like that. Or like, or like, that was really crazy what they were doing. You know? And so I think there's, I think you're absolutely right that it's, it's a strange choice. Like, I would rather put on, if I want something to be like a little weird, but like also accessible, I'll put on like my classic, I've got people over is Os Mutantes. Like, it's a little weird. It makes me feel happy that I'm listening to something weird but it's also like upbeat and fun. This is for a different kind of like this is for a different sure. time for a different kind of person who basically wants. I think I think it's all about being like check this weird shit out. Yeah, I mean for like, a long fucking time, like when I was actively looking for new music to listen to, like 
I'm, I I won't fucking are you know at, at, at fucking thirty seven. I'm not going to tell you that I wasn't looking for weird shit to freak people out. Well, your man. favorite group is Brainiac. Yeah, like, the, the, <laughs> I, I maintain they're one of the best bands that ever fucking graced whatever. But like you know, and I actively enjoy Crispin Glover's one record. I listen to it and I enjoy it. Yeah. But for whatever reason. <laughs> It might just be some this jazz. Is like a, I just can't do. Yeah, it and might just be precursor. And, it, and it's like, not irony. It's not all irony based. I swear. I, I swear. think you would have liked this if you had been, you know, like eighteen when it came out. I just, it might just be a that, generational thing. Well, in some sometimes the orchestration. I was thinking about this earlier. I mean, maybe it just is the just the the specific, you know, upright bass and the saxophone. I mean, I, I would say. Even in the guitar realm, I mean, obviously, I think we all love, really, really love rock music, and I don't listen to Steve Vai. Yeah. He, he does that, this, like, yeah. off, weird it's stuff. Like, I know like that, that he can play the guitar, I just do not enjoy how he yeah. plays it. Yeah, exactly. I dig so, some Zappa, but man, yeah, that's when, when he starts one. fucking doing that MIDI shit, Everybody I can't Everybody creates their deal. perimeter yeah. for what, like what is their border? And or, like, yeah, when, kind of their border, how far yeah. they, they're willing to I go totally in... And it's sort of like, I, I am almost with you in terms of uh, that, that quote was really good saying, you know, if you're not in the mood, it sounds pretentious. And it's, it's kind of right. I mean, it's about this, I'm coming to God. I have this awakening. And, you know, he wrote that in the liner notes and this whole thing and concept record, four songs, you know, solos for every individual in it, it comes up and it comes down you know it's all almost like one take thing but at the same time if they were not such goddamn good players <laughs> yeah. I, w- I would just like probably be like, nope it, not yeah. not with it but he is such a good player and he is a perfectionist and you know that even when he's doing uh you were talking about him riffing on that one melody over and over i mean there's a he's doing that for a reason i mean he is He's absolutely 100%. He's he's thought long and hard about about riffing on that. And I would uh, uh, cool. Yeah. You, you you did you did the most you could with four notes. I don't know why you did it, but it was a thing that you felt compelled to do and you know congratulations on it. Yeah. You know. I, I And you know I mean within that context too, he's playing every scale. He goes all like 12. I think the other he's, thing He's, yeah. he's basically saying, I, this is every single scale um, that you can do. The the musical experience by John Coltrane. Yeah, that, um, that, that, well, but so <laughs> let me put it this way here. I think, I think I have I think I have one okay. last like one last case to be made. It's a record about <laughs> this man who's been through a lot, uh, basically ac- accepting uh, this higher power, essentially. Uh, and if you think that, uh, there's not going to be some frenetic highs and low lows and weird weirdness to that, uh, I mean, you gotta, you gotta break a few eggs to make an omelet. Like this is, he's trying to translate a massive experience into a 33 minute record. I will give him, it's going to get weird. I will give him this much (laughs) as far as a come to Christ, like, rehab album thing that happens this is the least offensive one that, that, that I put into my ears oh so, what's that song uh it was like Michael W. Smith uh is that is that the guy's name from like 
There's like this incredible 90s song about that. Uh, oh, was, I wish I could remember what it is. All right. The have, last quote, quote I found was uh, actually from Miles Davis, who said that this particular record reached out and influenced those people who were into peace, hippies, and people like that. Yeah. Um, so, you know, again, this is, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can see Godspell being like, hey, guys, day by day. Yeah, even one of his own uh, bandmates on this album, you know, he said after after this album, he's Coltrane started going in this way. And he said, I didn't I didn't see myself making any contribution to that kind of music. All I could hear was a lot of noise. It, it didn't have any feeling for the music. And when I don't have feelings, I don't play. So, you know, you know, there again, I think everybody has that they limit limit, you know, where they they feel like. So you see that that's even from someone who's yeah. on this album. So it's kind of interesting to see that even those people are saying, yeah, you're doing noise now. I, I we were doing something. <laughs> I'm supposed to like noise. <laughs> I don't get it. All right, so how do we feel as a whole in this putting this record in the book? No brainer for me. I mean, you got to have Coltrane in the book as just a rep, you know, representation of jazz. I would also put uh, Blue Train in here as well as Giant Steps, especially Giant Steps. First one on Atlantic, and he wrote everything on that album. Two of those are two or more like jazz standards, but this one absolutely he wrote this entire thing. And I get it. It's a concept record. And this book seems to gravitate towards that. And I think everyone kind of gravitates towards this album just as a example of this is where jazz, you know, is kind of gone. And this more spiritual spirituality. Yeah, takes spiritual. Yeah. yeah. This is the uh... or mysticism. I would say this is this introduces jazz not as a concept of being like cool it, it, it's, it gets into that mysticism. It gets into that... Wasn't Moondog doing this whole mysticism shit you're way right. beforehand? You're right. Yeah, Moondog uh, definitely should have been in here too, but, you know. I love it. I think good. I think it's, it belongs. It found its home. It's... it's. Uh, I love this uh, the simmer, the simmer down at the end of the record. Uh, for me, I always picture... Like I said, like I said in the beginning, I think... This feels like a movie to me, and that's why my favorite concept records, and I'm guilty of, of liking concept records a lot, but my favorite ones uh, are very, uh, they have an arc, they paint a story. This one, like, the la- the end of the record makes me think of, like, Chinatown or something, and it just, it makes me have this feeling of just this uh, sort of, like, darkness and, like, you know, smoky corners and in and alleys, and and I just really feel something, and I'm I it evokes scenes to me, and that's how this whole record is. Um, even when it's even when it's uh, wildly frenetic, uh, I I think it certainly belongs. Uh, it's it's out there. He took a risk, and I and I still like listening to it fifty years later. Yeah. Um, this end simmer. Reminds me of the uh, greased up shirtless guy in the chaps playing the saxophone in Lost Boys on the beach. It's so different. It's this, this so is, this different. This is what I'm seeing right now. So that song is an upbeat jam. It's called I Still Believe. <laughs> it's a really good song. Uh, uh, I Still Believe. I'm just, uh, I, I, I'm, I'm stoked that you guys are really into it, which means people should probably listen to it. Um, you know, I'd. 
I, I, I can't say it shouldn't be in here. I mean... <laughs> this episode can't end with you comparing the works of I, John Coltrane it's, to it's, Tim it's, Capello yeah. of the Lost Boys yeah. soundtrack. I don't have... Whose name means basically Tim the Hare <laughs> in Italian. <laughs> and it's like... like it's just... Saxophones are not inherently lame. I just... I don't know. No, I, I think, it's too much. Yeah. I think that Fear said it best is that New York is all right if you like saxophones. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, leaving. <laughs> <laughs> all right, John Coltrane's a genius. <laughs> uh, next time we'll be talking about BB King live at the Regal. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, bud.